Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Begin with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now as in these few moments we look at your word that your precious spirit would be our teacher, that he would protect us from the one who would not want us to focus upon this, that you would enable us to hear you and not be distracted by me or anything in this place or anything going on later this day. And we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. William Gurnall was a 17th century Puritan. He wrote a a book of some 1,200 pages, double column, small print, and it was based on this passage, verse uh, 10 through 20. Here is the title. The Christian in Complete Armor, a treatise of the saints' war against the devil. That's the short title. Let me go on. The Christian in Complete Armor, a treatise of the saints' war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of that grand enemy of God and his people in his policies, power, seat of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against the saints, and a magazine is opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught the use of his weapon together with the happy issue of the whole war." Receive the Lord's benediction. (laughs) 
Isn't that amazing? I can see why he had to write 1,200 pages on these few verses. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones did a similar thing, not equally as long. He published two books on these verses, The Christian Warfare, and on the verses that I read to you, actually 10 to 13, he preached 26 sermons, and then on the next verses about the Christian armor, he preached another 26 sermons. So we're going to cover it in three weeks, okay? I'm telling you that in case you're feeling a little antsy, like we've been in Ephesians for a long time. Uh, This is a big subject. Uh, Amazingly, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, the converted slave trader, said that if he was confined to only one book other than the Bible, he would choose A Christian's Armor by Gurnall. And I'm actually going to share a little bit from that book later on. But we want to begin with the book, with what the Apostle Paul tells us about spiritual warfare. We read, uh, first of all, about the strength that we have. Uh, You can look in in verse 10. Remember, Paul is is talking to the people in Ephesus who were in a a minority. They had had a difficult uh, uh, life in in terms of being in a society that did not like Christianity. They would tolerate anything. Does this sound familiar? They would tolerate anything except Christianity. They would tolerate virtually any behavior except the radical behavior that we have read about uh, the last several weeks in terms of relationships, what, what marriage is, what family is to be, that was uh, a polar opposite to what the society was practicing there. And so Paul has, has given these instructions to the church. And then like a good preacher, he says, finally. And then he's got, boom, this big section about spiritual warfare. But he doesn't start with the warfare. He starts with how we are to be strengthened. He had strengthened them already by reminding them of their great value to God in Christ. He had strengthened them already by talking about that great salvation in Jesus Christ that cannot be earned or deserved, but is only by grace. He had strengthened them by talking about the nature of the church, by talking about difficulties with race between Jews and Gentiles and a unity that they could have. And he had strengthened them in their uh, marriage and family relationships, in their work relationships. And now he's saying, this is where, this is where your strength is because 
all that I have just told you is going to be under attack. The evil one does not want you to practice what you see earlier in this letter. There is a difference between the new community and your old community. And with that, he says, finally, be strong. He's going to let them know how to cope with being in this minority. It's not enough just to get people pumped up. Have you ever heard a motivational speaker? If you've ever, if you've ever gone for a motivational speaker, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's to, uh, to quit smoking or to lose weight or to be more successful in business or better in school or one of those kinds of things. Or maybe you think of uh, an athletic coach that you, you had. Now, I don't have anything against motivational speakers. But what can happen is that when, you are, when you're listening to the, the motivational speech, you get all pumped up. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out there and I'm going to lose weight. Oh, look, hot donuts now. Look at that. <laughs> you know? Sometimes that's about how long it lasts, isn't it? Or the coach that gets you all pumped up thinking you can win and then you go out and, and uh, you just get creamed. Well, Paul's not willing to do that. He's not willing just to pump them up and to send them out to the slaughter. He's not willing to say, look, you can live your best life now. He says, look, there's only one one way you're going to get through this. It's in His might. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be empowered. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing where you are strengthened. Uh, It's not where you, you get strengthened and you never need to be strengthened again. But it's an ongoing need that we have. Throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul points them away from themselves and toward Christ. And that's what he's doing here. That's why he starts with where their strength is. He doesn't want them to have any kind of confidence that they can even stay in this battle that is going on. He wants them to see right up front where their strength is. It's in his might. And then put on the whole armor of God. Now, this is what we are going to study in the next few weeks through July. So we're not going to look at the various pieces today. We will do that. But here's what we need to know. Paul is defining the playing field here. Every sport that I am aware of has a defined playing field. It's, it's, a, it's got an out-of-bounds. It's got an in-bounds. It's a rec- 
rectangle or a circle. I don't know what a circle would sport would be, but it, you know, it's it's got the in and out of bounds. And if you don't know, if you don't know what the boundaries are, the the beginning, if it's a race, the the beginning and the end, and where you're allowed to run, what the course is. If you don't know those things, you're going to be out of it. You're not going to survive. And so he's defining. And what he's indicating here by saying, put on this armor, and by the wording, you've already seen it in our worship, the hymns that, that we have sung today, the worship songs. He's saying it's a war. And here's the important thing to know, though. With this war, and I, and, and I don't know any other war where this can ever be said, but with this war that we are in, if you use His armor, you will survive. That's unlike other wars. No matter how much armor you put on, no one can guarantee that in a war. Paul is saying, this is different. It's a different kind of war, but it's also a different kind of armor. And we'll be looking at that. If we wear that armor, we don't have to lose the battle. So let's look at how Paul defines the battlefield, our battle. He talks about uh, the enemy that we are in this war against, the evil one, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now again, I don't, I don't mean to keep putting this off, but next week we are just focusing upon upon him and his nature. And I, I, am, I am dead serious when I ask you for prayer this week because I have, I have preached about these things a number of times in my ministry. And that's dangerous territory. He doesn't ever like the truth to get out. But he really doesn't like the truth about himself to get out. He talks about uh, uh, the schemes. Let's, let's, several things you can see here. First of all that is that he's real. He is not what you have uh, seen in the movies. He's not what you, you know, on, on October 31st when you get a, the, the doorbell rings and you open the door and there's a little girl dressed up like the devil and you go, oh, aren't you a cute little devil? You know, that's not it. Nothing like that. And I, I realize sometimes that's, it's hard to get those things out of our mind. We think we know what he looks like and all that. Don't kid yourself. And whatever the worst thing you can imagine, he is way worse than that. We will see what the Scripture says. But also we need to know that he's not e uh, evil that is equal to God. We don't have God and then 
the devil over here, Satan over here, as, as two equal uh, people in battle. This says he's the author of schemes. That word is wiles, methods. Um, back in chapter 4, verse 14, it talks about deceitful schemes. Just the word schemes kind of gives you the idea of being deceitful. And we will see that's his nature. But that should remind us that in and of our own strength, our own protection, we are not able to stand up against the evil one only with God's armor and with his strength. And beyond that, it's because the battle, verse 12, is not flesh and blood. For we uh, do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now that's not to say that uh, everything that we need to be concerned about is somewhere out there in the, in the heavenlies and it's all spiritual. We know better than that. There, is, there are real physical issues. I'm afraid if you ask people right now, what are, <coughs> what are the biggest challenges that we have, that you have, that our world has? Well, people would say things, some would say, well, it's the Supreme Court. It's out of whack. Or the government or a political party. Some would say racism. If you're a Christian in the Middle East, you would say ISIS. If you're in some country like Iran or Syria, if you're in Ukraine, you'd say it's Russia. If you're in Greece, a collapsing economy and on and on and then some of you would say my greatest concern is well I've got cancer that's my biggest problem right now all of these are challenges all of these are very real things to face but ultimately, Paul is reminding us, yes, we are facing these things, but these we can see. There is a battle going on that you cannot even see. And that's what he wants to remind them of and why they need his might and his strength. And he talks about the spiritual forces of evil around us. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's saying there's a battle going on around us. A number of years ago, Frank Peretti wrote a trilogy. Some of you will remember this. Uh, the, the first of the trilogy was, was called This Present Darkness, which is, they got it, you know, from this verse. And because it, was, it became instant bestseller, 
people in the church I was serving began asking me questions about it. And so typically what I do when that's the case, so I can dialogue with them, is I will read uh, at least the first one in, in a series and then tell them. And, and just like usually uh, my answer, uh, you know, people will say, what do you think of it, you know? And, and I, you know, I, in that case, my answer was, you know what, I have to disagree with some of his theology, but that's okay. I never tell somebody don't read a book because I disagree with some of the theology. But what I do say is, look, it's fiction. You don't get your theology from fiction, okay? So that's easy. You can read the book now. But here's what he did that I thought was good. It was good for me and for many. He, with words, painted a picture of how things were going on here on earth, in churches and out in the community, but that all around, including in here, there's a spiritual battle going on that we can't see. And it, for me, was helpful reinforcing and reminding because it's so easy to forget when we can't see it. There is a battle going on right around us right now. And if we don't fall to that battle, it's because of God's might. But we've got to know it's taking place. I mentioned William Grinnell's work on, on this. One of the brilliant things I think he did was to categorize some of the common times Satan attacks. I put them in your uh, uh, outline in the worship guide because I, I, I think that he's, he's right on. Uh, I didn't invent those, he did. Here's some of the things. And what you're going to see is, oh, wait, wait a minute, I'm in this or that category. You're going to see that, that you are, if you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you're in the line of fire. Don't think you're not. So here are some of the categories. He says, when the Christian is newly converted... And I, I just want to read you some of his wording on this. Uh, I, 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 it's amazing. It says, Can Christ be in thou heart and thou not know it? Can one king be dethroned and another crowned in thy soul and thou hear no scuffle? You see what he's saying? Well, of course, if you come to Christ, can you dethrone the king of darkness who was in your life and the king of light become your real king and there not be a scuffle? That's what he's saying. For the new Christian, it can be doubts that they have immediately or very soon after coming to Christ. It can be them being tempted by a sin that they were tempted by before they came to Christ, and because they're now tempted by it again, or maybe even fall into it again, the evil one would say, you're not a Christian. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing that still. 
when someone is newly converted. A second is when the Christian is afflicted. Satan wants us to think that in those difficult times, God has abandoned us. A third category. When the Christian has achieved some notable success. Remember Peter? Remember what he said, Mark quoted earlier a a part of that account. He made his great profession of, uh, of Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Success. There it is. There's that profession. Upon this rock, I will build my church in the gates of Hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. And then right on the heels of that, what was Peter doing? Trying to convince Jesus he didn't really need to die. And what is Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. A small victory, a great victory, Satan attacks. Another thing Grinnell mentions is when the Christian is idle. Think of King David staying at home when his troops are in battle. Instead of being the king that he should have been with his troops. And he's idle, lounging on the rooftop and then he got into adulterous trouble. You know, I've noticed it's seldom in the church is it those who are, are busy serving, using their hands and their feet and their voice and so on. Seldom are they the ones that become the complainers and the disenchanted. Satan loves to attack when a Christian is idle. A fifth thing, when the Christian is isolated from others who share his faith. Did you grill yesterday? If you did, and you're a purist, like me, and you still use charcoal, then you have a perfect illustration of this. What happens? You get, you get all the coals nice and white hot, and then, then you get them ready to go under, under the grate. And what happens if one of them goes tumbling down and, and falls off? It's not very long before it's not white hot. It may not be hot at all when it's away from the other coals. Satan loves to attack that coal that is out there. Sometimes it's deliberate isolation and sometimes it's providential isolation. But in any case, you will be a target. And sixth, when the Christian is dying. We can see this even in the biographies of some of the great saints that Satan will try to attack them even in their last hours. Now I want to add a seventh one. Not that I could add anything to William Gurnall's 
1,200 pages, you know. But there's one that, uh, as I was working on this this week, I, I have to mention. And that is when one is a pastor, a teacher, or leader. Even if you're not a success, but you're in a position of leadership. Elders, pastors, teachers, Satan loves to attack. In my, in my previous church, we had a, a kingdom prayer-focused weekend with Archie Parish, And on that Sunday, Saturday, we had classes and, and practice praying, kingdom-focused prayer and so on. On Sunday morning, he preached, and his message was basically to encourage the congregation to pray for me as the pastor. And, and here's... Uh, I, I remember one of his illustrations, the one he started with. He said there is, uh, some of you are going to remember this far side cartoon. The one where the, the two deer are standing up and talking to each other. There's a lot, of, a lot like that. But one of, one of the deer has this, uh, in the, his white chest, he's got a thing that looks like a target on him. And the other deer says, uh, uh, that's a bummer of a birthmark there, Hal, you know. <laughs> well, Archie Parrish used that, and he said, look, pastors have targets on their back. Last week, I heard of one pastor, very prominent who fell into adultery. This week, I heard of a second who was in a mission church in another state, and he had to be disciplined, and they had to dissolve the church. Is there any question? You know, when, when we hear about these, my wife Connie always says, why do we hear of so many pastors falling? And the only answer I know is what Archie Parrish said, and that is there is a target on pastor's back. He encouraged everyone in the church, and they, they, they stood in commitment to pray for their pastor at, at every meal, so at least three times a day. We must recognize his desire to attack us. So believe there's a battle going on. I hope at least you don't have any question in your mind that there is a, a spiritual, a, a cosmic war going on all around us. It's different than any war in this world that we could possibly witness. Don't be a soldier walking into this war without your armor. It makes me want to pray more and seek His strength. Know that your only hope of survival is in the strength of His might. If you fight on your own, you will be routed. You will fall. If you think you're strong enough to stand, 
then you are the most susceptible to attack. If he sees someone relying on their own strength. Again, think of Peter. He told Jesus, even if all fall away, I will not. And within hours he had denied him and cursed him three times. If we know our limitations, we will stand in his might.